couple weeks ago, if those of you that remember, hopefully remember a little bit about where we were at, uh, the church at uh, Thyatira. And let me say this before we get going here. Um, I was talking to someone on the way here, a friend of mine, and uh, he's a deacon and a devotional leader at his church. And, uh, well, we got one out of two. Do you or Rex got any recommendations? Zach is going to try to... Woo! Uh, I'll probably on it here for a few minutes. But anyway, and... Um, I'm going to talk just for a minute here while he's figuring it out, but uh, hopefully we get it figured out. But we said, I told him, I said, you know, a lot of times I said, you know, uh, there's things that can happen, numerous things. I said, before church starts, it could be whatever. I said, a lot of times when I get to church, I said, the last thing I want to do is get up and preach. I said, there's times I just want to stay in bed and cry. I don't, I don't want to. But I've I've got I got a duty, so I got to come to church, and I get up sometimes in front of the church, and I've got to do my best to say God is good, God is great, and uh, you're going to make it, and we're going to be okay, and and that's that, and that's that, and uh, well, he should have left it alone when he had the chance, but. Uh, <clears throat> Kind of like the antennas of the old days, you had to hold it right there, drive it ears, not let it go. But let me let me say this: there are a lot of times, though, too, that your all's testimonies help me. Amen. Sometimes the simplest thing some people says is, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm here this evening. I don't mean it like that. Uh, but anyway, but sometimes the simplest thing that some people say is enough to lift me up. Amen. And I appreciate yes. people willing to speak up. And church, when we, when we come to church, we should be willing to praise God here in this assembly. If you're not going to give Him praise here in front of our church family, I doubt you're going to do it much outside. Um, it's tough sometimes, and, uh, but I'm thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for each one of you. So often, sometimes, you may not realize it, but some of you can say something, do something, even a simple smile sometimes and a handshake is enough to, to, to lift our spirit. So, enough rambling. Um, so, uh, Revelations chapter 2. Does everybody remember where we were at? Verse 18, the church at Thyatira. And every time, I promise, I'm not trying to give you a different thing to look at every time we meet here. It just kind of works out that way. I know it probably seems that way. I'll pull this one out, the other one out just a little bit, and hopefully they don't fall off the wall. You can see it a little bit better that way. Um, but um, what we're going to focus on, and if we get through the church at Thyatira, I may spend just a little bit of time on these next three just telling you an overview of what this is. I'm going to try to keep this particular one till we're through this, and then we, we'll look at, uh, at the time periods as well a little bit. But I want to focus as much as anything on... Um, the actual churches that existed at this time uh, to get through it that way. I've been kind of wrestling with that through this. 
just to give you an understanding of what Jesus was saying to these actual churches. Now, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, uh, the church at Thyatira, and if you remember last week, I'll give you a quick little introduction here, then we'll read this and, and pick back up about where we left off. I said it was the smallest city. Of these, of these seven churches, it was the smallest town. wasn't very big. Uh, some people consider it insignificant. Now let me say this. Just because someone may look at you and tell you or think you're insignificant, you're not insignificant to Jesus. You matter nothing. He died for you equally just the same as he did everybody else. He didn't think of anybody else a bit more than he does you when he was been nailed to the cross. Um, if you remember, I said last week this was a, a city considered strong union. Uh, and uh, if you had a trade, you almost had to belong to their guild or their union, if you will. I don't know if they called it union, but uh, and what they would do then is they would have union meetings and you went to that union meeting and it was more or less idol worship is what it was. And they would have a sacrifice to that idol and they would partake of the food when they sacrificed that animal to the idol. They would cook the animal or animals and have a dinner in honor of that false idol, that false god. And if you didn't belong to one of these and partake in this, they would kind of exile you and made it, make it difficult for you to have a, a job or part of that craft or trade in this particular town. And so it was hard uh, to make a living if you do not belong to this and partake of this. So verse 18, that's a very quick, short introduction. Uh, it, it does. And let me say this, for whatever it's worth. Uh, I belonged to a union for 24 years. My dad retired from the Pipefitters Union. Zach belongs to the Teamsters. Morgan belongs to the Teamsters. Uh, does anybody else in there belong to a union of any kind at any time in their life? You belong to the Postal Workers Union. She's going to come in and shoot us all one day. Uh, she'll get a postal on us. The National Association of Letter Carriers. I, I don't know if I knew that. I probably did. So anyway, so we got a few union people. Now, just, just for the record, please don't get mad at me. I'm not going into no big union thing here. Um, I, yeah, I'm probably pro-union for different reasons. But let me say something. Even today, the oath that you... Amber belonged to a union as well. Even though the oath that you take to join a union is borderline non-biblical. It really is. It, it pushes the limits. And, um, and you just heard me say I'm pro-union. But the bottom line is, folks, there's things in this life you and I can associate with when it comes to taking an oath of something... You better pay attention to what you're taking that, what that oath is saying and what you're signing up for. They won't. No. Just like our basically our constitution and bylaws here in this church, you know. So uh, let me not get carried away here and lose time. Uh, verse eighteen. Uh, somebody care to read down to verse twenty one, eighteen through twenty one. 
Okay. So if you remember, we talked about this last week. Here's the second time in two chapters Christ's eyes are described as like a, to a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Now, more than likely, I don't think his eyes actually had flame, you know, actual flames. It is a piercing look. One that you can't just turn away from. It's a look of looking into your soul. He knows what you think. He knows what you feel. Do you realize we'll, take, we'll say an adjustment for what we think? It's judgment. Right, that's what this is representing, it's his judgment. His feet, like in the fine brass. Now, I actually, because in chapter one, it, it goes a little more descriptive, and I think it says it's stronger. I think his feet will almost look like, basically, he's got a pair of shoes of almost molten brass. Uh, but anyway, he says, I know thou works. You remember, he bragged on them, told them all the things they did good. And if you also remember last week, I mentioned the Catholic Church does a lot of the things that is mentioned here. Now we'll talk about a couple things under here just in a minute. He said, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. So in other words, he said, let me tell you what I like about you, now let me blister you. <laughs> in a sense, your wrongs far outweigh your goods. And let me, one of these days, this is going to be a message. Our sins, whatever they may be, is not in a balance with our good works. God doesn't look at it that way. Your good in God does not outweigh our bad in God. We need to get the sin out of our life, period. It's not a balance. Uh, anyway, um, so he said that, you know, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Some say it's the pastor's wife. Some say it, uh, this church potentially was started by a lady in Acts. Do you remember who I said that was last week. She was a seller of purple. Lydia. If you remember, this particular city, uh, Thyatira, was known for its textiles. And purple clothing was one of those things it was known for. Now, that's, that's a belief. We don't know if she started the church or if Apostle Paul or it could have been another. We don't know who started it for sure. We don't know much about it. We probably know less about this particular church than these other six. And notice, too, the shortest, I mean, the smallest city with the longest letter, where does it fall? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. And if you look at the region on your maps, if you look, you can see where all these are located. Uh, you had to go, Thyatira uh, was kind of in the middle of some of these cities and the road going through Thyatira took you to Pergamos and, and I think Sardis, if memory serves me correct. So that's kind of a unique little thing there too. God puts everything in order, doesn't he? Isn't he a, isn't he a God of order? Um, and he says, which have called, which, so we don't know for sure who, who Lydia is. All we know is, or not Lydia, we know who she was, <laughs> we knew who Jezebel is. He's calling, it wasn't that Jezebel was resurrected. I don't think there was a woman there named Jezebel. To name your child Jezebel would be like naming him Hitler or Jeffrey Dahmer. I'd like to think none of you are that senseless to do, anybody would do their child like that. Um, I mean, gee whiz. But anyway, um, 
So he, he's comparing here. And to be called Jezebel is like I said in our day and time would be to call somebody, uh, name an American child, Bin Laden. I mean, you know, Hitler or something. I mean, it, you know, it'd be like a Jew named their child Hitler. I mean, it, you know, he's, that's what he's talking about. So, um, and whoever this woman was, it could have been the pastor's wife. It could have been the deacon's wife. That's who I like to blame it on, praise God. Um, <laughs> she's not here, so we just, wham! But no, uh, we don't know, but she, nevertheless, she was somehow giving a high status in this church. And she took some kind of leadership role. She was handed this, and she took it and ran. She got a lot of people to follow her, which called herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things, sacrifice, and idols. Now, interpreting this scripture, and I'm going to, I'm going to relude to this again just in a minute. Notice what Jesus said. He says, seduce my servants. He claimed ownership of these people. I believe they were born again. Because he called them my servants. That's important, folks. That matters. Because some of the people in these letters he's addressed weren't Christians. Some of these people in these seven churches he addressed, I don't believe they were born again. They might have been members of the church, but they weren't born again. I don't believe they were part of his. Some of them were. And we can look back at some of these letters that I've went through already and show you that. But anyway, for time's sake, we're not. Potentially could be. Right. Yes. Oh, most definitely. Definitely. Uh, I believe here it was a woman because he calls her that. But spiritually speaking, yes, it could be the one. Um. And he said here, he said, you know, to, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fortification, eat things, sacrifice unto idols. And I talked about that already. And I gave her space to repent of her fortification. She repented not. In other words, he said, I convicted her. I revealed myself to her. And she wanted nothing to do with me. You know, when Jesus, when God told Moses he would harden the heart of Pharaoh, that perplexes a lot of people. Do you want me to tell you what he did? He convicted Pharaoh. And Pharaoh rejected him. That's why his heart grew hard. Same as here. Morgan, drive safe. He says, and uh, verse 22, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now here's where it is important when I mentioned, he said, my servants. I've read different commentaries on this. I've looked at different things. I've listened to a couple messages. And he says here, some people interpret this as when he said great caster with her into great tribulation, that he speak of the tribulation period. I don't agree with that. I'm going to tell you why. Because Christians don't go through the tribulation period. Plus, 
I believe he's speaking. If you look in your Bibles back at Corinthians, and there's a couple other places, but at Corinthians it's the strongest. He says some people he kills, he, God takes them out, some Christians, because they fall into sin and they keep embarrassing the name of God and God convicts them, they don't listen. So he says, if you're not going to listen to me, I will take you out of this life. You will not run my name in the ground. And I do believe there are, and he tells us, and in, in also if you remember when we take communion where I read from, he said, some have fell among you sick and things because they were taking the, the communion and made it a big party and they didn't a frolic and they didn't repent of it or change. So he said, I'm, they're, they're sick. There's many sick among you and dying for this reason. As a Christian, if we live in sin, continue to live in sin, we can, there's going to be problems coming in our life. So why, I believe what he's saying here is, he said, if, if, if you want to live this way, fine, you go ahead. But here's the results. You also notice in Hebrews chapter 12, it teaches us about a chastisement. That literally means to, <laughs> I want to use an old phrase here, beat the hide off of you. No. So he says, I will cast them into a bed. And I know I said literal, we do interpret the Bible literal, but there are places it is figuratively speaking. And I believe, and it's obvious, this is it. I heard a real good example of that the other day. Jesus said, I am the door, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus does not have a set of hinges and a door handle on him. You know, so. Um, so he said, I will, and, her, and, and, and then they commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. So even here, Jesus is saying, I'm still giving them a chance to repent. I'm still reaching out to them. Verse 23, and I will kill her children with death. So in other words, I don't think this is literal children she has birthed, who this woman is or whatever. I think it's the people that they have influenced. She has influenced. And the influence of her that's, that, that it spreads out, he's saying, all those people will die if they don't repent. And, uh, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you, I say unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other, no other burden. Now the depths of Satan, uh, the way I interpret this, and I agree with some commentators on this, some I don't, some I do, um, basically is, keeping it in context, here is someone that is leading people astray, teaching them false religion, false gods. And if you remember, I said the worst type of adultery you can commit is what? Spiritual adultery. Who are you committing adultery against when you commit spiritual adultery? Against Jesus. Do you realize we are betrothed to Jesus? We are his bride. In a sense, uh, we, are, are, we are already married to him, but in one sense we're engaged because when we get to heaven after the, after the tribulation period, we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll get to that in this study later on. Uh, so we are the bride of Christ. We are his bride. And when you 
put a, an idol, anything above Jesus, and you take something that is more important to you than Jesus, you are committing spiritual adultery. And if we sin willfully and continue in that, knowing that something's wrong and we go ahead and do it anyway, that's spiritual adultery. And that is worse than physical adultery. So you see here uh, the love, faith, works, patient endurance, constant improvement. So here's their failures. Tolerates pagan cults, idolatry, and immorality. Judgment is coming. And then you notice up here at the top it says instruction. He gives them instruction. Repent with an explanation point. Notice he told Pergamos and Thyatira that. And then down over here to, at the last, promise to the faithful. Faithful will hold fast until I come. I will give you the morning star. We're going to get to that. Uh, some uh, believe that he's potentially talking about uh, two groups of people. Uh, I'm not going to get into them right now too much for just overlo- information overload that at this time, this is still today, it's also possible that this prophetess, false prophetess was teaching, some people taught that you had to learn the ways and the depths of Satan to learn how to defeat him. In other words, you had to go the way of Satan to learn about Satan so you, had to, so you could learn how to defeat him. Does that make sense? No, it does not. In other words, you need to learn to totally throw yourself into sin and in Satan's ways to learn how to defeat him. That's very foolish. That's the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. But that is what people taught. Still are. So, um, he says, I'll put no other burden on you. Now, this church did not come under uh, the type of persecution that Smyrna did. If you remember, we talked about that one. And that is when... Rome really started coming down on the Christians. You remember I mentioned some of the Roman, the Caesars, Nero. Remember I read that thing about him, how that uh, when he was little and the things about him and how he uh, committed adultery, how he had his wives killed, how he had everybody in his life killed. If you looked at him wrong, he'd just kill you. And if you remember also I mentioned the movie The Gladiator that was out about 10, 15 years ago. Well, no, more like about 20, 20 some years ago. Wow, I didn't realize it was that old getting old uh, yeah I'm getting old anyway uh, Marcus Aurelius who was in that movie was a real Roman Caesar but he was not the kind that was portrayed in that movie he was not a kind man at all he killed Christians the same as Nero and the ones before him he was, he was brutal he was not <laughs> the way that movie portrayed anyway um, verse 25. Well, anybody got any questions or comments? Uh, yeah, on the 24, it says, But unto you, I say, and unto the rest, and if I after as many as have not this doctrine, which I have not known the death of the second, I'll put up on the end of the burden. All of them, it's clear that all of them didn't go along with their teaching. No. It was just a select few of them. Like you said, some of them, they called them the servants, so the ones that were real Christians, uh, That's right. If there's not chastisement, if someone is living in sin and there's not chastisement in their life, I question if you're born again. 
according to the Bible. Um, God's not going to let one Christian buy with some kind of blatant sin and, and, and then punish another one. It just it doesn't work like that. So, and let me say this here on that verse you read, you know, which continues in this doctrine. He's talking about the false teaching, the false doctrines, what he's referring to. Okay? In verse 25, he said, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. In other words, hold on to what you've got. I am coming. The end will be near. You will be rewarded. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't cave in. Kind of today. That fits today, doesn't it? Verse 26, and he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, now listen up. <laughs> Here's what this is referring to. And I should have got this, but I never thought about it. We have the rapture of the church. You have the seven-year tribulation period. Christ comes back at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. Earth, as we know it, every living person that's against Christ is killed, destroyed, and he sets up a millennial reign here on earth. For a thousand years, we will live here with Christ on the earth, and as Christians that have done right, we will rule over a certain area or people. That is what he is referring to here. And when he says with the rod of iron, it's not like you're going to sit there with a big steel staff when somebody does wrong. Call wham! That's not what he's referring to. But your rule will be absolute. But now remember, at this time, we are going to be like Jesus. We're not going to be like we are now. Sin is gone from us. We have no more sin. So everything we do will be perfect, just like Christ. Won't that be amazing? You'll never have to apologize ever again. I like the thoughts of that. So that is what he is referring to right here. Do you see that? This is the only time that he can look at a, a normal average church and tell them they will have power of the nations and rule over the nations because nowhere else in the Bible does God give anybody else permission to rule other than the thousand year millennial reign. It's the only time that's ever given. Well, I mean, kings and judges and stuff, I don't, but I mean like over in this context, the way it's saying here, the church. Okay? When he says, I will give him the morning star, does anybody have any idea what that might mean? No. But there is a reference to Satan as the star, fallen star. There is a reference to that in the Old Testament. That is a partly correct answer. But notice, notice this is a reward. You're on the right track. Kind of. That's correct. You're on the right track. The morning star is Jesus. In other words, he's saying, I will give of myself to you. And let's face it, there's no greater gift than Jesus. 
I mean, he's the only one that I've ever found. I'll look at, next week we'll look at that verse you mentioned about Satan being called one of the, no, he is the falling star. And I, and, um, but there's, he is what we're looking for. He's the only one that I've ever found that made me content, that made me know that I'm loved. Peace, comfort, joy. The night I got saved, I felt clean. He's the only one, even today, that can make me feel clean. Make me feel assured. Give me hope beyond hope. Nobody else or nothing else can do that, but Jesus does. Not just can, does. So that is what that is in reference to. Um, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So a lot of times, again, this is a spiritual ear. People hear the Word of God, but they don't have spiritual ears to hear it. It's not there. So the next church, chapter 3, he says, verse 1, the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thou works and thou hast a name which thou livest and art dead. Boy, that's confusing, isn't it? I'm going to let y'all figure that out between now and next week. (laughs) So we have the next three churches. Now I'm going to look at another graph here just in a minute. Only a faithful few have kept the faith, church spiritually dead. This is the church at Sardis. Repent and turn back to Christ. Strengthen what little faith remains. In other words, there's a little remnant here of faith. You better strengthen what you've got left. Faithful will walk with Jesus and not be brought out of the book of life. We will talk about that too. Once your name's written in the book of life, there is no eraser. Okay? No. Philadelphia. Uh, kept my word and have not denied my name. Notice the failures. None. He had no. He had no real. I mean, correction or, or condemnation. Uh, in instruction, you have an open door. I will keep you from the hour of trial. Uh, promise of the faithful. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Uh, then Laodicea. Notice the strengths. It is the only church on this list that has no strengths. In other words, there's really nothing good he can say about them. And then he says the failures, you're neither hot nor cold. Your riches make you impervished, spiritually impervished. Materially, they're rich. Spiritually, they're dirt poor. Um... Instruction, turn from indifference and repent. Promise to the faithful, I will invite those who overcome to sit with me on my throne. Now, let me give you another table here real quick. And I mentioned, uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of this, but I want you to see it. And I promise I don't just try to find a different one every time, but there's reasons I'm giving you different ones because each one gives different information. Now, this is the church age these churches represent. Remember, we've talked about this almost every service. So Ephesus was the apostolic age, about A.D. 100. Smyrna persecuted, 100 to 200. And notice, I've told you before, these dates on different tables will change a little bit by a few years. Okay? And I'm going to explain something on that just in a minute. Pergamos, uh, the Dark Age, 300 to 600. This is when the Catholic Church took off. It's when it got its start. And you come down to Thyatira. By this time, 
the Catholic Church for a few hundred years now has ruled and reigned. You notice the dates. It goes all the way from Thyatira, which we just talked about, goes all the way from 600 to 1563. Somewhere around 600, uh, that church became... Um, the Catholic Church became to rule. The first Pope, which was around uh, A.D. 440, I didn't know his name and I forgot it, uh, he did some good military things, he accomplished a couple of things, so they gave him power basically unchecked. And then after him, there became more Popes. Most of them were not good people. At all. Um, so, in A.D. Um, fifteen seventeen, there was a man by the name of Martin Luther. Has anybody ever heard of him? Okay, what he did, he started what's called the Reformation. Does anybody remember ever heard of the Crusades back in the Dark Ages? Some of you may have not have. The Catholic Church went through and was slaughtering people, namely the Church around the 1500s, 1600s, called the Crusades. There's books about it, movies about it, videos about it. So in 1517, Martin Luther went to a Catholic church, and um, let me read just what it says. The Reformation, and I don't know how accurate this is, but it, it's pretty close. I know that because I know a little bit about him. The Reformation generally is recognized to have begun in 1517 when Martin Luther... Uh, a German monk and university professor posted his 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. Luther argued that the church had been reformed. So he was, he was kind of a, a, a horse of all collars, if you will. He had a colorful background on religion. But he studied the Bible for himself. And if you remember when we preached through the book of Galatians, I said Martin Luther said he was a spouse to the book of Galatians because it taught him that salvation is not by a single work of any kind. 100% the grace of Christ. So in 1517, he went to that castle, nailed that thesis to the door, and it was a thesis statement stating basically the plan of salvation. Now he was not completely removed from everything that he had been taught. He still believed in infant baptism. He still had a couple things that he because his conscience had been sheared with a hot iron. The Bible teaches that in Timothy. So some of this, but he learned enough to know that he could not be born again without the blood of Jesus Christ being applied to his life, and he knew that. So he nailed that thesis, and this was a turning point in history. So it was 1517. So if you look, it was during what Thyatira is considered the church, this church age of what was taking place. This is when the Catholic Church, some people teach and believe, and I do uh, somewhat agree with this, that the Jezebel mentioned in Thyatira is the Catholic Church. And I, and I, and I, I, I agree with that. They have. Yep. In the old Bible, you can read back there in, uh, uh, in uh, the one who went, what's his name, General, God sent to Nineveh. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they worshipped, uh, it's, it was a fish god. Yep. And they wore those hats like that. Look at the Catholics, they, they wore them hats just like they wore back yep. then. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's not hard to, to yeah. I mean, it, 
there's a lot of things. Church, I, please don't get mad at me when I make the very stout statement here. And I know some of you have Catholic background or some of you have Catholic family. Plain and simple. Please don't get mad at me. I, I'm just speaking to you the truth right now. The Catholic Church is not our friend. I'm sorry, but they're not. They are a perfect antichrist. And, and I'm not trying to be mean, folks. I'm not trying to be... But the bottom line is they claim to be Christians. They claim Christianity. And I do believe there's probably some Catholics, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I've said it numerous times, that are genuinely born again. But as a whole, they're not. They've got some weird beliefs if you start looking at it. I mean, they got some far out ideas. So, at this time, what year was your Bible written? What year was it translated? 1611. Notice the next one. Not long after the Thyatira period ended, Sardis period started. Notice what it says here. And this is the reason I got this one up here. Catholic versus Protestant. We are Protestants. I don't know if you realize that or not. And this is when, do you realize that for years they would not translate the Bible into any other language and they would not let the people read the Bible because the priest and Pope kept the Bible from the people so they cannot learn the truth for themselves. Yes, sir. Right. And that's kind of a contradiction there. It is. Um, they don't know what they are. They're on their Church of Christ, Baptists, they don't know what they are. They just are somewhere stuck in the middle. Yeah. Catholics or what. But um, but if you follow that, you see and that's what I keep that's what I keep saying, you see how the church through the centuries has followed this. But I wanted to focus the first part of this lesson tonight just on the church of Thyatira itself. And then kind of bring this out here to the end. Um, denominationalism started uh, in the 1500s and come on down. It really picked up speed in the late 1800s in the last, this century, 19th century. It's just went plumb off the charts. Uh, that is why we are in the late of sea and age. The Philadelphia Church, 1850 to rapture. Now some will say this ended, started sooner and ended around 1900, 1910. I've seen some graphs that say that and I kind of agree with both. Um, Let me ask you one question real quick. Like on anything. Anything. That's sp speaking of tribulation. Yeah, speaking of the tribulation. So that's speaking of the time which the faithful, the ones that are real true believers, right. when Christ comes back, the 
true Churchill guy. Yeah. And the ones that are just professed believers have been left here. Lord, have we not cast out demons? Have we not done this? Have we not done that? There's more than what, that's a lot of what, well, that's. Um, the Philadelphia church aides, once denominationalism got started, then, then somewhere around the 1800s to, you could still say today, but really up until about 50 years ago, there was a major, major push for missionaries. And missionaries were really started being sent throughout the world because you got to understand do you realize in the last century how world travel has taken off? Think about that. Up until about 80 years ago, if you're going to go to another across the pond, there was one way to get there. And it took a long time on that boat. Today, I've been literally almost to the other side of the world and I got there in 16 hours flying time. So in the last 80 years, world travel has become so much easier. Do you know that America was responsible for sending out most missionaries over the last 100 years? you know who's sending out more missionaries now or as many as any other country in the world? Some of you may be surprised to hear this. Philippines. Over the last 50, 60 years, the Philippines has experienced a revival that is just unheard of. People getting saved by the hundreds. They got um, numerous colleges. They're sending out people. We had a guy in our house, I remember this, his name was Enrayli. He was a Filipino. He started a church in Thailand on the border of Burma. Do you know there's Filipino missionaries in this country starting churches? They are coming here from the Philippines to start churches. Did you know that? Yes. They are sending out people all over the world. I'm going to tell you why, and I'll tell you this and we're done for tonight. I'll tell you why I believe two reasons America has stood as long as it has and why God blessed it. And I think these two reasons are why America came to be, and why God blessed it, and why we became the power that we are. Number one, because God used this country to send out missionaries throughout the world starting around probably around 1700 to today. He used America to evangelize the world. One of the reasons why, one of the ways how is because we had the money to send them. And the education to educate them. Number two, our support of Israel. And that's shaky. And I'm going to tell you right now, and you mark this down, if we pull our support of Israel... And we don't, and we, the missionaries continue to slow down like it has been to support the church. Son, you better start learning how to grow a garden because you're going to need it. Yeah. You better learn, you go buy your can of stuff now because you're going to need it. In other words, this country is going down, it's going down fast. That's the only, I believe that is the two reasons God made America great and has kept it great. That's nothing against anything or anyone. But I believe that's Bible, and I think I got Bible to back me up. I believe that's fact. For what it's worth, America is really not in the Bible, just so you know that, though. So that's why I say you don't look at America for a timeline of tribulation. Israel is your timeline, and we'll get more into that pretty soon. So any questions on this?
Okay, next week we'll look at Sardis. I hope to cover Sardis and Philadelphia. Read those. I'm sure you already have. Uh, some of you have some commentary. I've given most of you an outline to look at. I've given you websites to look at uh, to study this out if you want to in your own time. If you've got any questions or wonder about that, call, text, ask me now, whatever, and I can give you some places to go to, some things to take a look at on that subject. Any questions or comments along those lines? What, what questions do you have? This is the one we've been looking at um, as well, the seven churches of Revelation. If you notice, the timeline is similar, but you get to these last uh, three, they end it. Whereas the one I was just looking at, it went all the way to rapture. Whereas this one in the church period's end. If you notice, though, the dates are close. I think the other one was looking at was 300 to 600. Uh, 600, I think it was like 15, I think it was 1563 maybe on the other one. Um, and so on. But they're all close to the same. And a lot of these is just an opinion of who put it up there. Believe it or not, this particular one come from a liberal site. <laughs> but it's got a fairly accurate table. While this interpretation is widespread in Christendom, it has no spiritual basis. It is fantasy. That is false. Anyway, but the table, that's why I did that so you couldn't even see that. But the table itself is fairly accurate. So that, again, that's why I caution you all don't just randomly look up stuff on this and start reading it and believe it. That's why I said go to the websites I told you and use those for self-study. I'm no expert on this. I could be fooled the same as an ex-person, but I've learned enough through the years to know when I, I know to look for something that has a red flag. I know just enough to be dangerous. Um. So, you know, I find it, I find it a miracle in itself, and, and I don't want to jump ahead and talk about fine. the uh, millennial reign and we come back to Christ. That alone, that people lived through the tribulation period, is a miracle in itself. I mean, most don't. That, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, the, uh, all the plagues that come upon the earth, and there's people that make it through. Yeah. Yeah. Most and don't. Most people don't make it through. I know. It's, it's, it's just that's why it's cut short. Is that's why the Bible says God cut it short because nobody would leave. Everybody die. Of the world's population dies. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yes. Uh, there's, there's some that believe, and, and I, I don't know. I, I've never come to a solid conclusion on this. About the time I do, I change my mind. Uh, some believe if you've heard the gospel when the tribulation period comes, you're doomed. Some believe if you've heard the gospel when the tribulation period comes, they can still be saved. I'll probably lean more towards the doom side of it because the Bible says that they'll believe the lie 
and be damned. Strong delusion will be set down. If you don't believe the gospel now, you're probably not going to believe it then. Have you noticed that we even got U.S. senators right now wanting our government to release its findings of UFOs? Have you all noticed that? It's gaining more and more and more popularity worldwide. I don't know this. My opinion, I think that that is one of the things the Antichrist will say. That's where we went. The aliens took us and he, he cooperated with them because we were in the way of progress. Uh, Jimmy's got a theory on UFOs. I never heard it before. I, I thought it's possible. He thinks it's satanic, that it's satanic beings or satanic doing. And so there's some proof, if you will, of UFOs to make it look so authentic to why they took us. Now that's speculation. But it, ha- it, it does hold some merit. That's the only answer for it. There is no other explanation for it. Because um, I, I, I don't really believe there's little green men out there that's that far advanced. I, I mean, if you believe that, if you believe that, I got some oceanfront property right up on the hill here that Rex and I has got together. We're going to sell it to you. And, Yeah. Yeah. Folks, you got to realize Satan is bigger than what we sometimes understand. Now, he's not God, but I'm going to tell you something. Don't you ever doubt the power of Satan. Uh, I know it's getting late. Oh, Lord, it's 17 after. Cody and them kids is about to kill us. Uh, we better just stop right there. I was going to tell you a story, but we'll just shut her down right there. So, um, no more questions or comments? All right. Let's all stand up.